0: Okay, Reggie, come on, over here. Please. look at me. <laughs> Reggie, look up. Yes, good job. I have a dog, good Reggie. Job. Reggie is this nine pound <laughs> chihuahua, and she has a lot of feelings about everything. <laughs> so like, this is what she sounds like after I've left the house. <clears throat> I love her. My wife and I love her, but Reggie is a lot of work. I mean, if you have a dog, you probably know this, even if your dog is okay with being at home alone. And it occurs to me that that is because I don't speak dog and Reggie doesn't speak human. It would be a lot easier if we could just talk it out, like some Dr. Doolittle fantasy realized. The first film in which a human being, myself, actually talks to animals. Which, when I think about it, I was obsessed with that movie when I was a kid. You know, the one with Rex Harrison. I think I've watched it like 50 times. If I could talk to the animals, just imagine it. Yeah, like, what if we could talk to them? Ask them what they need. Ask them if they're happy. What a neat achievement that would be. Because if animals could talk, well, there are so many experiences of this world that they have that we don't. Think of the insights we could gain. Like, have you seen those TikTok dogs who can talk?
1: You're all done,
0: now? What are you all done with They hit buttons with their paws to play these pre-recorded words in English. Funny dog and they've inspired, I'm sure, tons of people to teach their own dogs to do the same at home.
2: Mom is, human. Mom is human.
0: But we're supposedly the only species that has language. Like that is what makes us special. There's actually a lot of debate about that. In some corners of the scientific world, they'll tell you that things like dolphin clicks or bird mating calls or meerkat barks when there's danger, that's considered communication, not language. There's also a lot of debate about what even constitutes language in the first place. But overall, language? A lot of people still consider that just a human thing. But there was an exception of sorts. This is a story about a gorilla. Her name is Coco a 270-pound gorilla named Coco. Coco, the gorilla.
2: Yeah, Coco. Coco is not
0: your ordinary gorilla. Coco was said to have mastered a version of American sign language.
2: That's right, Coco. That chip's all right. have fun
0: i I'm Ariel Zumross. I'm a correspondent for Vice. I cover science and I have a degree in zoology. And I'm super nerdy. So this podcast is going to go there. But this is still Vice. So there's also going to be sex, drugs, and intrigue. Like, literally. Because that's what actually happened. But let me start with the basics. Coco was a western lowland gorilla who became super famous starting in the late 1970s because she could use sign language. She was considered one of the first non-human animals to use a human language. She was a big deal. I feel pretty certain that you know Coco.
3: Take a look. It's in a book. A
2: reading rainbow.
0: In the 80s and 90s, she really made the rounds. She was a guest on PBS's Reading Rainbow with LeVar Burton. Dr. Penny Patterson is a psychologist. She and her friend Coco, the gorilla, share a special relationship. For the past 11 years, Penny has been teaching Coco to speak and express her feelings using American Sign Language. She spent some time with Mr. Rogers. She really has feelings
2: for people and things.
0: She had this best selling book about her kitten friend.
1: So every third grader would get to read Coco's kitten.
0: People were obsessed with Coco, and a kind of random group of celebrities got to meet her over the years. People like Sting, Leonardo DiCaprio, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, William Shatner.
4: I love you, Coco.
0: Betty
1: White. Uh, Coco, our talking gorilla. And
0: famously... There is only one animal who can tell you if she is happy and wants to mate. That is Coco, the silverback gorilla. Robin she Williams, who actually worked who her into see. his act. She was intrigued.
2: She reaches out and grabs both my nipples.
0: For decades, Coco was sort of an icon. She was cute. I mean, her best friends were kittens. And one of her favorite games was to be tickled. And yeah, it was easy to make jokes about her. But she also spoke to this profound longing that humans have to communicate with other animals. She was pretty impressive. She was said to be able to sign more than a thousand signs. She could use a special type of keyboard. Apple. Apple. Why don't
1: we say more in English? More. more. Apple. Right.
0: And she could sort of play the recorder. She passed away a few years ago, in 2018, at the age of 46. At the time, NPR wrote an obituary, heralding her for having redrawn the lines of animal-human communication. But Coco started as a graduate research project. In the early 1970s, a 20-something psychologist named Penny Patterson wanted to see if it was possible to teach a gorilla a human language. Then she spent the next four decades doing just that. Today, Coco occupies this really important space in people's imagination that to me feels like a beautiful space. It speaks to our desire to see beyond ourselves and to see ourselves reflected in other animals. She helped show us a truth we often forget we are also animals. But of course, the story of Coco, that a lot of us heard as kids, it's a lot more complicated. Was Coco this incredible outlier? Or was this just another case of humans believing whatever we want to believe? What exactly happened during this experiment? And are we humans really the only species with language? Penny Patterson, she had the right idea, she had the right plan, and she was gonna make it work. Some people think she
3: is a charlatan, but I really don't.
0: Yeah, she's not taking it seriously.
3: You could say anything to Coco and she would respond with a sign. That's just what she was trained to do.
2: I don't believe it. We all project onto animals all kinds of human attitudes, but it's all projection.
0: All of it? All. Everything.
2: As far as I'm concerned, yes.
0: That must have been really hard to have the scientific world turn against you, and then all you have left is this gorilla that you love so much. Her world was Coco. From Vice, this is a show about animals. Project Coco.
4: You know what the life expectancy of a garden snail is?
0: Is it like a couple weeks or is it like...
4: 20 years.
0: 20 years? You would think yeah. I would know that, but I... I mean, nobody
4: knows it. 20 years. Nobody guesses that they live for 20 years if you don't step on them.
0: Turns out it's really more like five years in the wild. I've read that it's possible that some snails in captivity can live up to 15 years anyway. I'm on the northern California coast, a little bit outside Santa Cruz, sitting in this backyard looking out at the foothills of a state park. Talking to Gary Shapiro, who back in the 70s, when he was in his early 20s, was one of the select few who got to spend time up close with Coco.
4: <laughs> I was the stupid one. I never uh, used sign language with Coco that much. She knew w- that I was not good at it. <laughs> so when she talked to Penny, her hands rapidly move, you know, and Penny would tell you what she's saying, and you'd have to believe it. When she talked to me, she'd go, oh, it's him. Yeah. So she'd go real slow. You... Chase me now and then she'd run, you know. <laughs> it's like a really deliberate. <laughs> He's the one who doesn't know anything.
0: So she, she, well, she had the wherewithal to, to tailor her signing to the person that she was signing to. Yeah,
4: yeah, she talked down to me. That's right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Gary's in his sixties now. These days he hosts a bunch of radio shows, but back in the day he worked on the Cocoa Project.
4: Okay, so... Uh, it's
0: 1971. A gorilla has just been born.
4: And there was a gorilla who had been born in the San Francisco Zoo. To
0: a Western lowland gorilla named Jacqueline.
4: Born on the 4th of July. And that gorilla was Coco.
0: The zookeepers named this baby Hanabiko.
4: And Coco means fireworks child.
0: Which means fireworks child in Japanese. Around this time, at least in the same year... About an hour away, a grad student named Penny Patterson is studying psychology at Stanford University.
2: I had um, attended a lecture by the Gardeners at uh, Stanford and was
0: really interested in that research. That's Penny Patterson from this great PBS documentary called The Gorilla Who Talks. And she's just attended this talk where she hears from these two other psychologists a couple named Beatrix and Alan Gardner.
4: One was an expert on spiders and the other on rats.
0: who've taught American sign language to a chimp named Washo.
4: And they thought, like, what if we raised a chimpanzee with sign language as if she were deaf, only using sign language?:
0: Washo learned more than a hundred signs over the course of the experiment.:
4: So Penny Patterson
0: is totally wearable inspired wearable by this, and I just felt, this is it. This is what I need to do. Penny is a psychologist who wants to study language, and specifically, the linguistic capabilities of an ape. In articles from the early days of the study, Penny says that she's interested in testing the idea that what separates man from animal is language, and that if an ape can be taught to use language, we might then need to drastically rethink our place as humans in the world. Which is pretty exciting for the time and place, i.e. 1970s American academia. Also, for context, Penny and Coco were part of this much bigger moment in Western science, where there was this feeling that our understanding of who we are and our place in the world was about to change. That we were on the precipice of some greater understanding of human nature. That we have much more in common as creatures sharing this planet, which, of course, is not to say that other cultures over time hadn't already been thinking along these lines. So Penny is at Stanford, and she goes to the local zoo in San Francisco and observes the gorillas there. Coco is about three months old at this point, and she straight up asks the zoo director if she can teach sign language to this
4: baby gorilla. At first they told her no, that she couldn't do it. but then When I came
0: back to
2: the zoo, the keeper recognized me and said, do you want to see Coco?
0: And I said, of course I do. Coco, who's now six months old, had been sick. She's in the Children's Zoo. She'd been recovering in the Children's Zoo. And
2: he took me to see her. That day, that first day that we actually got to see her, she was kind of feisty. She ran around and
0: gave me a nip on the ankle. So Penny asks the zoo director again. And this time, they say yes.
4: Penny kind of eased into it. And at first was working in the nursery. Oh, I'm just going to interrupt because there's a little hummingbird over there, see? Oh my
0: God. So you just get to hang out here and just see hum- hummingbirds, like, yeah. oh My gosh. gorgeous. So
2: I decided that it would be good to focus on three signs, eat, drink, and more. Those would come up a lot during
0: keeping Coco going during the day. She's teaching Coco some basic signs, ones that honestly she's learning almost at the same time that she is teaching them because Penny herself has just started taking classes after deciding that she wanted to try out this kind of experiment. In some ways, Penny and Coco kind of learn together. She takes Coco's hands and she's forming them into the signs as she's saying them to Coco. And actually, it works. Pretty soon, Coco learns to make signs for more and drink and dozens of other words. For two years, Penny and Coco worked together at the zoo.
4: There were always people looking in, and it was distracting. She couldn't get her work done.
0: But the situation isn't
4: ideal. And then somehow Penny got permission to take Coco to Stanford, which was kind of strange. They would never do that now. None of this could happen now.
0: So this really does seem wild, right? The fact that the San Francisco Zoo would let a 20-something PhD student take one of their baby gorillas to a college campus, that to me is kind of mind-blowing. And... This is definitely not the only time that the way the science was done back then surprised me. You'll hear a lot more about this kind of thing as we get further into the story. Anyway, it's 1974 by the time Coco lands on Stanford's campus, and Penny is running the entire experiment out of a single wide trailer that she buys for $2,000. And when I say trailer, I mean trailer, like the kind that humans live in. It's got a kitchen, a bathroom, and a couple of bedrooms— the only gorilla specific renovation she puts in place is that she adds a couple of chain-link fences to keep Coco where she needs to be. But she has some help now.
4: There was this group of students. It was, there was probably 10 of us. And most of them were women. But I think four of them were men, including me. And Coco was really interested in men, but also was afraid of them. Because mm. they are scary. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> all of the men, except for me, were tall and bearded. So then she saw me, and she was like, oh, well, he's not scary because he doesn't have like a beard. I had very long hair, really long hair. and was kind of feminine looking. And so using sign language, Coco said to Penny, I want him, and pointed to me. So she opened the gate, and she said, you, (laughs) come in. And I went in, and Coco climbed into my lap and took off my shirt and started playing with my... Yeah, she took off my shirt, and she started playing with my nipples, and tickling me and playing with me and kissing me and she liked me, right? I mean, you know, she really liked me. So uh, Penny said words to the effect of, Coco likes you, do you want to work here? My job quickly became a couple of things. One, I was Coco's friend, boyfriend. So then I spent the next several years doing, you know, having Coco take off my shirt every day. (laughs) 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 It
0: was just groovy. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. We were, you know, it was a different time.
0: (laughs) More on that when we come back.
4: So, my day was sitting there with Coco.
0: Okay, so it's the mid 1970s at this point, and Gary Shapiro's main job on the project is to entertain Coco.
4: And Coco would spend half the time playing by herself with her toys, making her nest. That's something that gorillas do all day. Mm-hmm. And then the other half of the time, she would be talking to me and asking me to tickle her or chase her around with the alligator or the truck. There was little toys that she was afraid of. Alligator, chase me now. You know, like that. And, but really slow, because it was me. And, and then also I would make her food, and then I would feed her.
1: Apple. Apple. Afraid. Yes. Night,
0: gorilla. Coco seemed to be really excelling at learning language. The project boasted that she is signing hundreds of words. All?
1: Coco has
0: all. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's this wonderful 1978 documentary
3: on the campus of Stanford University
0: called Coco, a Talking Gorilla, directed by Barbara Schroeder. You can watch it on the Criterion Collection. It captured Penny during those early days with Coco, and in it there is documentation of what Coco was capable of.
1: Taste.
0: Taste? Taste. Sleep bed. Sleep.
1: Coco's progress was marked by a number of innovations on her part. Very early in the study, she could she could sign something like drink more. <laughs> something that, that takes me I have to think about doing. She would just do spontaneously and very quickly. Kiss. Kiss.
4: Coco acquired way more signs, like 500 signs. And, and Coco created words in an interesting way, you know, like...
0: What do you mean by that?
4: Well, like she tasted a watermelon and called it a candy fruit. You know, uh, she saw a ring and called it a finger bracelet.
0: One of the key things Penny was looking for wasn't just building Coco's vocabulary, but also her ability to manipulate those words and combine them, to use words creatively to express herself, which indicated to Penny that Coco was gaining a strong command of language.
1: Sleep, bed. Sleep. Sleep? Uh Uh-huh. Sorry.
0: Sorry?
1: Sour. Coco? Sour. Sour. (laughs) Koko's current vocabulary is approximately 300 words. These are the words she produces. But she understands probably at least another two to 300 words. And she has, on occasion, produced 500 different words at least once, although not all of these have qualified by our strict criterion, which is spontaneous and appropriate
0: use on half the days of a given month. So, okay. I just want to take a moment to acknowledge how arbitrary this might seem. Just because I don't use a word spontaneously on more than half the days of the month doesn't mean I don't know it. It is true that Project COCO came up with its own criteria to decide what constituted command of American Sign Language by COCO. Arbitrary, but perhaps necessary. Even today, scientists can't fully agree on how to define language in humans. So imagine trying to develop a set of rules that will help you determine if a gorilla has acquired language. And yeah, that's a problem for the whole field that creates a lot of chaos. It's like trying to get your driver's license when no one agrees on what roads are. Penny starts by using previous criteria created by those professors she was inspired by, the gardeners. But then she said she had to modify them to suit what Coco needed, what would help motivate her and get her excited about learning. She explains that Coco would walk away or just stop listening if she was overly drilled. She tried to adapt to Coco. And Coco seemed to adapt to Penny.
1: Coco is very, very sensitive to how I'm feeling. If I have hurt myself and I'm in tears, huddled over the wound, she'll come up and she'll put her arm around me and she'll comfort me and kiss me. And if I'm mad, she gets mad.
0: When you see footage or photos of them from that time or in conversations I've had about them, I'm struck by how close they are. Because this is a story about both of them, Coco and Penny.
4: I mean, she's, she's remarkable and, and a lovely, wonderful person.
0: Gary Shapiro again, Coco's boyfriend. You
4: know, there's certain parts of her that, you know, her personality that are gorilla-like. And I found this with all the people that I've met. They all kind of take on some of the traits of the animals that they're working with.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about her? You know, when you first met her, what was your first impression of her? What was she like? What did she look like?
4: She's physically beautiful. I mean, she's a really beautiful uh, young girl at the time, you know, blonde hair and um, just a beautiful face and just a gorgeous girl. Um, And she was brilliant, you know. I was, you know, enamored.
0: Nearly everyone I talked to about Penny remarked on a few things. Her dedication, her shyness, and, not infrequently, her physical appearance. Which I guess doesn't surprise me. I mean, this was a field dominated by men, and so she stood out. People noticed her.
3: They just, in the beginning, didn't think women could do the job, you know, heavy lifting, working around dangerous
0: animals, you know. Anne Southcombe was one of the first women to work at the Cincinnati Zoo, At this time, there was a bit of a cohort, a small number of well-known women working with apes. Jane Goodall, Diane Fossey, and also Penny Patterson. Anne was working with great apes at the time, too, and she reaches out to Penny to discuss her research with Coco. And in 1977, she joined the Coco Project at Stanford. It was so awe-inspiring, you know,
3: seeing Coco in person was, you know, and she wasn't that well-known then. But to me, she was, you know, I'm meeting this girl, the
0: only girl learning sign language, so it was
3: pretty impressive.
0: I spent some time with Anne at her home in Oregon. As you can see, I, I like squirrels. That's my and while this series is full had, of animal room people, room Anne the is the most They're animal person that I met. I she was dressed in head to toe squirrel merch. And you just have squirrels all, all over you. Your hat has yep, two right. squirrels on it. Your t-shirt yep. has Well, a squirrel. you know, in
3: the, my older days, it'd be all gorillas, you know, so.
0: Anne is 74 years old, animals. and her arms are covered in tattoos that honor the animals that she's worked with over the years. And so these are, these are my special friends. So, you know, they get to be with me
3: all the time, so. I never was a people person. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I have friends, and I, I love my friends, but I just don't relate as well as I do to animals, they're just, people are so complex.
0: <laughs> when Anne arrived at Stanford in 77, she had already met Penny and Coco. I went out to see Coco at the zoo when she was just,
3: you know, a couple years old. It was just kind of little black hairy blob playing on the floor, you know, um, and going in with her and having her cling to me. She um, she's very cute as a baby.
0: And she was really impressed with what Penny was doing.
3: In the beginning, it was the first gorilla to be taught sign language. So everyone was just amazed. I mean, everybody was for it. And it was much more scientific in the beginning, for sure.
0: Anne was one of the more experienced people on the project, having already worked with baby gorillas at a zoo. You said that you talked a lot with Coco. Did it it actually feel like conversations? Well, just like you do with your dog or cat, really. We
3: all talk to our animals. And we did talk and sign at the same time. So if you didn't use a sign, she would recognize the voice, the word, too. So she knew both. But it was on the level of a, you know, three-year-old child, nothing real deep. Mm -hmm. But sure, yeah. A lot of stop that,
0: Coco. (laughs)
2: Coco, look. There are stars...
0: So at the time, Penny runs these vocabulary and infant human IQ tests on Coco.
1: Can you find the eyes in this picture?
2: Right, those are the eyes.
0: Penny says these intelligence tests aren't the greatest metric because the IQ tests have a cultural bias towards humans. If you ask a gorilla to point to a picture with various objects and say, pick the ones that are good to eat, and then she picks an apple and a flower... Well, the flower, by human standards, is considered an error. But based on the test given to Coco, Penny says that this gorilla generally scored slightly lower than a human child of the same age.
1: Now, what's wrong here? Is there anything wrong? Yes, that, good. That
0: 1978 documentary also roots Penny's work within a framework of the theory of evolution.
2: Western civilization, from its inception, had always argued that man was created in the image of
3: God, and was intrinsically different from animals and nature. Darwin's theory of evolution already shattered this view of man's uniqueness. Its last support was man's exclusive possession of language.
0: The theory of evolution is rooted in this idea that there are links and overlaps between species, that we have things in common. So when it comes to language, some researchers end up asking themselves how it could really be that humans are the only ones with language. They figure there must be an intermediate language ability. And the most likely candidates for this shared trait could be other great apes, like gorillas. Just like you can't teach language to a child, they learn it. It's, it's that same distinction. It's not training. In a 1999 documentary that aired on PBS, Penny argues that gorillas already have this fundamental ability to learn language. It's there. They just need to be exposed to it. Exposing her to something
2: and letting the wiring, the genetic makeup, do what it would normally do.
4: It now throws us in the position of saying, well, maybe we're not separate from nature. Maybe we're not different in kind.
0: Project Coco did seek to test the boundaries between humans and other animals. Which of course comes with some unknowns. How could Penny avoid transmitting her own values? Will Coco become the first white American Protestant gorilla? Coco is living a hybrid life, part captive wild animal, part 1970s child. Penny feeds Coco a mostly human diet, rather than just the vegetation the gorillas eat in the wild. Coco for instance drinks cow's milk eats cheese and crackers jello even beef
4: I had a little red dotson
0: Gary Shapiro told me the story about taking this male gorilla who was also on the project to pick up burgers that they would bring back for Coco uh,
4: have his little seatbelt on and we'd go to Jack in the Box cuz he really loved Jack in the Box cheeseburgers and so we'd get some cheeseburgers and then he would want be the one to reach out and get the bag and I was always thinking of the woman behind the thing, thinking, well, that guy had a hairy arm, and, you know, and then he'd hold the bag, you know, he wouldn't dig in. He'd hold it till we got back, and then he and Coco would eat their cheeseburgers. Really? (laughs) Yeah.
0: And Penny is kind of living a hybrid life, too, where what she's doing looks like part science. Now you march. To your room. And part parenting. Coco, I mean it. You better go. As far as Coco's signs, Penny has this running list. Stuff like nose, lipstick, more, carrot, apple, out, you, penny, cocoa, me, bad, good, belly button, blanket, big, small, play, cry. By 1978, this list is hundreds of words long. And quickly, it's clear that this isn't just any old graduate dissertation project. One of the funders is National Geographic. And in the fall of 78, the magazine publishes the first major article about Coco called Conversations with a Gorilla by Penny Patterson. Suddenly, everyone at magazine stands across the country sees Coco, the talking gorilla, and that catapults her and Penny into fame. The cover is a self-portrait, snapped by Coco herself, with one eye covered by the Olympus camera that she's using to take the photo in a mirror. Inside, there's a dozen-page spread of images most of the world had never seen before. Coco sitting cross-legged across from a young, blonde Penny Patterson with her bell-bottoms and sandals, and Penny teaching Coco the sign for machine. There's Coco enjoying a tea party with a toy monkey, Coco typing on a clunky 70s keyboard while being fed a banana. It's an iconic issue. Forty years later, National Geographic even reissued it with the headline, Coco the gorilla who changed what we know about our closest relatives. When National Geographic came out with the article, the first one on Coco... and Southcombe again. She told me that around the time that the National Geographic article came out, the project listed curious as a word that Coco could understand.
3: And I rarely ever question any of Penny's uh, research. But that one, I just, I said, I didn't think she knew the concept of curious. And Penny was sure that she did. But Coco, by this time, especially, she, you could say anything to Coco and she would respond with a sign. You know, mm. that's just what she did. That's what she was trained to do. Um, so if you say, Coco, what makes you curious? And she signed something, then you ought autom- then Penny automatically felt she knew the concept of curious because she answered that question. But I think she signed at that time was she pointed to her lips, which is a sign for lipstick. Which so Anne says raised a flag for her. Penny. So Penny just assumed that, oh yeah, you, you understand curious because lipstick makes you curious, <laughs> you know. She could assign nose. Oh, noses make you curious. Doesn't mean she understood curious, you know. So those things are very easy to you know, overinterpret. I think. In the beginning, her research was very scientific and, you know, a lot of science was following it. But when these things started to happen more and more, they didn't have any scientific model to prove that's for sure what she's doing. And I think that's when it kind of dropped out of the science
0: realm. Do you think Penny realized that Project Coco was becoming less scientific over time? Well, she must have, but I think she didn't
3: care because she felt like what she was doing was true. Some people today think she is a charlatan, you know, and just did this for money and fame or whatever, but I really don't. I think she was so dedicated to Coco and felt Coco was amazing and her daughter was really smart. And uh, so I think she genuinely
0: believed everything. Yeah. So when, just going back to the example of Curious, when you point out to Penny Patterson, hey, I'm not (laughs) sure she understands the concept of Curious here, what did she say? She told me that she did. She really believed she did. Do you think Penny ever doubted herself when she was interpreting Coco or when she was getting pushback on her interpretations? Do, Do you think she ever had any doubt?
3: That'd be hard for me to say unless I was in her head.
0: In this episode, you've only heard Penny's voice from decades ago, but obviously I wanted to talk to her directly. And I did. Penny, hi. Hi. (laughs) Hi, (laughs) everybody. So, yeah, this is weird, though. (laughs) She didn't comment on what Anne had to say, but we did talk about all kinds of things. Oh, I'm sorry about that. The, the, um, we'll try to make this as as painless as possible. It's hard hard to hear my voice. A little strange. Who were you during those years? You know, were you a woman on on a mission? What was motivating you?
2: Well, this is just was my dream job. <laughs> it was, and it fell into my lap. I mean, I was like, how how could this be? And uh, also, this could be a, a strong contribution to, to knowledge about our ancestry and our relatedness to the great apes.
0: Next time on a show about animals.
3: The zoo director was saying, no, we're taking Coco back to the San Francisco Zoo. The, that's our gorilla,
2: and we want our gorilla back.
0: A Show About Animals is a production of Vice News, and it's hosted and reported by me, Ariel Zumrass. Our producers are Julian Nutter and Pete Lang Stanton. Our production assistant is Laili Resvani. Sound design and original score by Pran Bandy, with additional support from Steve Bone. Annie Aviles is our executive editor. Kate Osborne is our executive producer and the VP of Vice Audio. Special thanks to Maximo Anderson for fact-checking. If you liked what you heard, please take the time to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. If you want to hear more about Coco the Gorilla and the people who tried to find out if you can teach a human language to an ape, tune in next week for episode two of A Show About Animals, Project Coco.